All right, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 10 through the first couple words of 14, but our key today will be verse 13. I hope you had a good week this week. Uh, last weekend, I brought a couple of my grandkids. We've had eight grandkids at the house all week. And so I really enjoyed my drive over here this morning. It was quiet. But I took them all to the Ranger game. That's expensive. It cost me several hundred dollars to go watch the Rangers win a game, which that's pretty unique a lot of times with the Rangers. So I guess it was money very... In fact, my grandkids are Ranger fans. I'm a Houston Astro fan. I'm from Southeast Texas. I'm older than the Astros, which really throws me when I think about that. Followed them since their inception from Colt 45 to Astrodome to Minute Maid Park. So I go watch the Rangers and I'm kind of quietly rooting for them to lose because they're five games ahead of my Astros and stuff. So, but my grandkids were watching it and they're huge Ranger fans. They know all the guys, all the players. And one of them uh, on Monday, about halfway through the game, says, Do you think it's about time that the Rangers fold for the season? I said, no, they got a good team this year. So my grandkids, even though the Ranger fans, they're not real optimistic. They keep waiting for the collapse to happen. But I think, they're, I think the Rangers are in for a good year. So let's get in the message today because this, I think, is one of the most important spots in all of uh, the book of Ephesians. Everything is almost in preparation for what's about to unfold here. And what we learned in the last week or two is simply this. We're called to be strong in the Lord. And remember what Nehemiah said when he said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's something about when you and I have this joy uh, that comes. Like just a moment ago when y'all guys were singing that last song, you could hear it. You could hear how you were singing. It was amazing. It just it makes it worthwhile being here on Sunday mornings as we sing together. That joy has to be real. And when it's real, it gives you unbelievable strength. And you need to be strong in the Lord, especially for what we'll look, deal with today. And then we learned last week that evil is real and the struggle is very real. We wrestle against that. We don't wrestle against each other. We wrestle against the powers and the principalities and the darkness that is found within the world. And what we're going to learn today is that we're called to withstand that or to resist it. And this is why this is important because there will come moments in time that become exceptionally difficult on every single one of us. And I want to remind you of what Paul told the church at Corinth before we get into our passage. He referenced back to Eve when, when the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. He said, I'm a little bit afraid for you guys at Corinth right now that you'll be led astray. And you'll be led astray from this, the simplicity and the purity of your devotion to Jesus. Christianity is not some complex course. Uh, it's not rocket science. There's a simplicity to it. Very simple. And I think it has to do that because in, in reality, we may all be have our moments where we're sharp in certain things, but not in everything. Christianity, you don't have to be. You just got to have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that and you begin to follow him, the wisdom and knowledge will unfold in some of the most amazing ways. So what Satan's trying to do is just get you away from your simple and pure devotion to Jesus. And, you know, a moment ago when you're singing... That comes because you understand what Christ did for you. You sing out. You, you really do. You just sing because you have such a great appreciation. You don't sing out because you've got a good voice and everybody can hear how good a voice you got. My grandmother had the worst voice ever. I'm serious. I'm, I, the whole family knows this. She sang monotone, which is kind of how I sing too, which is just one note. 
And she had come to Spring Lake a couple times when she was in her 80s, when I was pastoring out there in a little town, town of 100 people, and we'd have 70 in worship uh, on a bad day and 100 on a good day. And she would get the whole congregation off key before it was over with. <laughs> and somebody says, gosh, that's hard to sing when your grandmother's here. I said, yeah, but you know why she's doing that? She's not doing that to show off her amazingly bad voice. She's doing it because she loves God and she loves Christ. I know it's real. I've known her my whole life. I've seen this in her all the time. And so that's what gives us strength when we have this devotion and simplicity. And then I want to make one point I made last week, and I'm going to make it a couple times today because we're going to talk about the evil day. You are not defined by the evil that happens to you. That's the one thing I hope I get across over the last week and this week and maybe in the weeks ahead. Too often when evil does happen within our lives, it defines us here, there on out. It will always have an impact on us, but it should not define. Sometimes we take a deep breath, we get up, and we move forward. My staff member who I worked 20 years with, Doug Brinson, had three evil days in April of 67. He was in North Vietnam. He was rescuing pilots. I won't go into his evil days. Doug could have let that define him, and it bothered him at night when he would go to sleep. He would have nightmares ever so often, but he was not defined by that, and he became one of the great ministers I've ever known, and it was a joy and a privilege to work with him. I've known too many guys in the military who were defined by those moments, and they quit. So here's what I'm going to remind us today. We will face these moments, but when we do, we have something the world doesn't have. We have Jesus, and if he's real to you, then he'll get you through that to stand back up and to live. Stand with me now as we read. You're very familiar with the passage, and we'll get in next week into the armor, all the different armor, but here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And we looked at the schemes last week. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers. It's against powers against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we looked at that, especially with Daniel and some other passages. But in verse 13, we are today, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. In the first part of 14, he reemphasizes it. Stand firm. Father, speak to us in a clear way today. Because life does not control us. We may get hit hard by it at times, but Christ in us is what's the hope of glory. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. And may our simple devotion to you give us the strength and the power to be able to live life and to be able to walk with you in a manner that's pleasing so we're not sidetracked by the difficulties of life. So watch over and guide us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if I look there at verse 13, it says e the evil day. It's singular, which simply just means this. There's going to be a moment in time that will have a major impact on your life. And you're not going to escape those moments. You and I cannot escape. This is going to happen ever so often to every one of us in the room. I could give four or five what I would call evil days within my life that I've went through. I've I've talked with and counseled many of a soldier. I can give evil days. I'm just here. Those are days that hurt. That's when lies, hate, anger, immorality, greed come at you hard. And you try to hide from it, but you can't. 
In fact, most PTSD happens because of an evil day that so impacts our minds. I remember counseling a young lady, and I, I wasn't getting anywhere in counseling with her. I was going to try to get one of our professional counselors, our women's center, to do it. And I'm sitting there talking with her, and at the end, I, I give the advice a guy gives to guys on a football field. You just got to toughen up and work your way through it. So I got home. My wife said, what did you tell her? And I said, I, did. I'm, I don't know. There's something not right. I can't figure this out. And I just said, you just got to work your way through it. And my wife looked at me and said, you have it. I have it what? You haven't worked through it. I said, what have I not worked through? If one of my kids is choking, I would watch. I wouldn't help. My wife would have to respond to the choking. And the reason was, in 1975, I did everything within my power to save a man's life choking to death, and he died. There at Steak and Ale Restaurant, I was the waiter. I was also the bouncer that night at the restaurant, and I did my best to save him, and he died. I didn't think it really bothered me that much, but my wife brought home. It did. And you know why? I was never going to let somebody die again. It would be my fault. I now will get up and help. So if you start choking at a restaurant I see in Greenville, I may be there. If I'm not, I'm having a PTSD moment. But I want to bring home, we all have moments that impact us and they hurt and they live long in our minds. And so the evil day. But you don't have to let it control you. You don't have to let it define you. For a lot of people, it does define them. If I go to 2 Samuel and I'm reading 2 Samuel 1 through 10, and I'm going through the life of David. And that guy, he's one of the most amazing men in all the world in those 10 chapters. I mean, the guy is flawless in everything that he does all the way through. And then you get to chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, then it happened. And I don't even have to tell you what then it happened is. You know what that story is when I say then it happened. Because that defined him for the rest of his life. And he kind of, in one sense, let it define him for the rest of his life. So let me walk through some evil days. Eve had an evil day. When Satan deceived her in the garden, that was an evil day. So it was quite easy. All she did was grab a fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and took a bite of it. But that was an evil day. She was deceived by Satan. Uh, Jacob. Jacob had an evil day. Remember Laban said if, and he got it worked out a deal with him. Jacob said, I'll serve seven years for your, your daughter Rachel, the younger daughter. He served seven years. Scripture says that those seven years were like a few days. He was so in love with this young lady. He was like just a week or two past instead of seven years. And on the wedding day, he found out that he got Rachel. He never quite got over that ever again. If you go through the history of that family and all the dysfunction that took place, he never, did you know she named every one of her children after a thought that maybe now he will love me? She names all of her kids in such a way that maybe now he will finally love me because I've given him all these children. But he never quite did. That was an evil moment that impacted him for the rest of his life. Joseph, when sold by his brothers, and I give two evil days for him, sold by his brothers and Potiphar's wife. His brothers wanted to kill him, but they decided to sell him into slavery. So his life has changed forever because of that. But in a sense, that was an evil day. 
You may also throw out that we're always promised in Romans 8, 28, that God calls all things to work together for good to those who love him, called according to his purpose. Did God cause that one to work together for good? In the most amazing way. But then shortly thereafter, as he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife makes accusations against him which were totally false. He's thrown in prison for 12 years. That's an evil day. So from the age of 18 to the age of 30, this man is forgotten. His family doesn't know he's alive. They figure he's long gone. Nobody even knows he exists. So for 12 years of his life, you want a couple of evil days to destroy your life? It did. But you know, in Joseph's case, it never did. He didn't let it run him. In fact, he is going to step up to be the most, one of the most powerful men in the entire world. But I think of one like Samson and Delilah. Samson, gosh, to have the strength of Samson. Man, I'd love to have that at the age of 70, although I'd probably hurt myself with it. But he could do anything and everything physically. But the, the, uh, the Philistines, they wanted him gone. He was a threat to them. And so they used the political powers. They got Delilah, and before long, he had an evil day, and he got his hair cut. It doesn't seem like a really bad day that day when he woke up with a haircut. But it was an evil day because it brought the downfall of this great judge who was leading the nation. I go a different way with David. David and Absalom had an evil day. You and I can't even fathom how much it hurt when Absalom rebelled against his dad. He brought the whole kingdom against David. When David left Jerusalem to run for his life, do you know what he did? He walked he covered his head. He walked barefooted up the Mount of Olives. Some of you in the room have been on the Mount of Olives. You do not walk barefoot up the Mount of Olives. If you've ever seen the, the topography and all that takes place there, you don't do that. He was in such pain and sorrow that day. That was an evil day for him. I think of Jeremiah when he was arrested. Towards the end of Jeremiah, as the, the Babylonians are coming, and he has been preaching to the people, you need to leave and go with the Babylonians. You don't need to stay here. God's bringing judgment. The political powers couldn't stand what he was saying, so they threw him in the cistern of Malchicha, and they put him in there. I've been in the cistern underneath Jerusalem. I've seen what they look like. There was no water in this one, mud, and he sank deep, and he was going to die there if it hadn't have been for Ebimelech. If Abimelech had not been there, he would have died that day. But that was an evil day. His nation turned on him that day. He was considered a traitor and life was ruined. Or Daniel. Daniel's evil day was when he was 80. 80 years of age in that time frame. He gets brought up to the third most powerful man in the kingdom of Persia. Influence. This man has been the most godly, good man Probably in all the Old Testament, you couldn't find a greater man than Daniel. But the others, 120 others, they began to figure some way they could destroy him because they didn't like him. And they couldn't find a thing. They, could, they couldn't bring one charge against him. They tried and tried. They could find absolutely no negligence, no corruption, no, no lack of faithfulness. This man was so amazing. So you know what they did? They changed the law. And an evil day for him was when he bowed his knee that day to pray. What would be what he's done his entire life turned out to be an evil day because they arrested him, threw him in the lion's den. Going to the lion's den, evil day for Daniel. Daniel is a perfect example how to handle the evil day. And then I could go New Testament. I, want. I could talk about Stephen and his execution. I could talk about the execution of James. Or Paul when he stoned at Lister. Or Peter when he falls under the pressure in the Galatia area of the pressure from the Jewish brethren from Jerusalem. I could talk about Paul having to deal with Alexander the coppersmith. 
Every man that I listed here were good and godly men. Some, the evil day brought them down a notch, and some of them walked their way through it. I think of Moses going up to the mountain. He's getting the stones from God. With God wrote on the, both sides of the stones the commandments. And whenever he's starting to come down, he hears this uproar. When he gets down there, you know what there was going on. An unbelievable party, a worship of the, of the, of the idol that Aaron had made. And, and Moses said to Aaron, what did the people do to you? What did they do to you that made you have to bring this great sin upon them? They didn't do anything to him, but he couldn't handle the pressure. Evil day had impact. I'm here to remind you today, an evil day can happen to any one of us. You can be the godliest man or woman in here, and I don't mean that. I mean that real. You will not escape a tough day ever so often. I wish we could. I wish we could get through life. But we're in a broken, fallen world, and there is no escape. But we have a promise. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So though we may hurt, it will not have to break us. We can get back up. You do not have to be defined for the rest of your life unless you let it define you for the rest of your life. So here's what you do when that evil day happens. Verse 13 says we're to resist it. The word resist is used several times, but there are three times it's used like it's used here. One is in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ryan picked the verse at the end of my sermon last Sunday. It was perfect. It's 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowling like a roaring lion. He's seeking somebody to devour, to destroy. You resist him, firm in your faith. And here in this passage, verse 13, resist the evil day. There's also a passion in this word. It is found in 2 Timothy 3.8 when it says, Jonas and Jambre, they opposed Moses. It's used when Alexander the coppersmith vigorously opposed our teaching. These men had a passion. They tried to destroy that which is good. You and I are not going to use a passion for evil. We're going to use a passion for good. We can stand up against anything that unfolds within our lives and do it with such a passion. My God's with me. Christ lives in me. My God's going to be glorified through all that I do and stand firm in the midst of that as we're called to do. You know, three times we're called to stand firm in the passage. Three times, 11, 13, and 14. And we do that. We stand against evil in the evil day. Jesus did that in the wilderness. After being in the wilderness 40 days, you know how weak he was without food or water he was had the physical bodies just like we did he had he'd get tired he slept in a boat he'd get hungry just like everybody else did can you imagine how physically weak most of us can't even go a couple three days without any food or sustenance we'd be dying a thousand deaths he's weak though this weak weakness is real and as satan comes at him those temptations to us we read them they're not overly oh that's kind of interesting temptation no they were so powerful temptations but he would look at them like in the first one he says man shall not live on bread alone you know how hungry he was you know how good a, a roll would have tasted at that particular moment but man does not live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God what was he doing he was resisting evil in the evil day he was resisting evil he was standing firm against this and so you and I we have to do the same thing instead of quitting 
or being run over by life, you and I are to resist against it, stand against it, stand for truth, stand for righteousness, stand firm. Now, I'll hit it again later as we go through this, but stand firm. Sometimes that's all you can do. When these days happen sometimes to any and every one of us, it's hard to do much of anything else. We've been so hurt, so blindsided by what happens in life. But we can stand firm. We can hold on. We can watch and see what God's going to do in the midst of that. And we can speak the truth at that moment. We're not into the armor yet, but what's the last armor? What's the last piece of the armor? It's a sword, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. It is in the Greek, not logos, but it's rhema. Those are two different words. Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. It's logos. But here it's rhema which means the spoken word. One thing I've learned over the years is when you face moments like this, you and I are to stand up and speak truth. We're to speak that which we know to be right. We're not to be folded under the pressure of all that may be coming against us. When Jesus resisted Satan during a great time of of weakness, what did he do? He spoke truth. You say, well, I don't know if I can ever get through it. Well, Paul gives us insight on this in another place. He made a statement, my grace is sufficient for you. Affected in weakness. What was he referencing when he said that God's grace was sufficient? He was talking about the thorn in the flesh. We're not always certain what the thorn in the flesh is. We have some ideas, but we're not certain of that. But what we do know is it was a messenger of Satan, and we know this. Whatever it was, it hurt him. It tormented him. It ate at him. It was deep within his heart and his soul, everything that he was going through. But yet he knew something. God's grace was sufficient always to face the evil day. Guys, you're able to do far above what you can think or you can even reflect upon. You have greater strength than you'll ever imagine, and it's not yours. It's God in and through you. And when that day comes, you will be able to do that. And doing that now leads me to the last thing. We take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, you stand firm. So how do you resist? The full armor. I'm not yet ready to go into the full armor. We'll start that next week. But notice the word, you're able. It's there in the middle of the verse. You're able. It means dunamis in the Greek. It's power, dynamite. You have the ability. Ephesians 3.20. Now him him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He is able. But he works in and through you. And so because he is able, you are able to face whatever may happen. But here's the point I want to get at now. Notice what it says there in 13. Having done everything. Having done everything. Preparation is a key. This is important. Uh, We were having football practice on Tuesday. We're running through speed and agility. We run them to death for two hours. We literally run all kinds of different ways. Back and forth, quick things, stop, start, long distance, uh, using uh, pads and stuff they have to jump over. It's all kinds of stuff. We're trying to get them ready. About halfway through the practice, I asked the head coach, I said, can I have a minute with the guys? So all the kids get around me. and I said, I don't know if you realize this. I know this is uh, June. I know football really doesn't start till August 1. But we're watching you guys. Some of you we're getting to know. We don't know, but we're watching. If you want to be on the field in September, you want us to have you out there playing, 
You're setting the tone of whether you get to play or not, but what you do right now. Not what we do at the end of August, but what you're doing right now. We're trying to prepare you so that we get into October, November. We get into the critical games of the year, and they're tough. And you kids who played know how tough it is. And you're fighting to win for your team. You need to have done everything so you're ready for that moment. And if you haven't done it, you're not going to be ready. And I said, you know something? A lot of you guys, I've been watching, you're lollygagging around. I have no idea what that word means, but I've used it my entire life. They all gave me a funny look like, what's this old man talking about? I said, some of you aren't even trying. Some of you are, if I can't count on you to work now, what makes you think I can count on you to work when it counts? See, guys, you don't get ready for the evil day the day before. You don't go to your prayer closet the day before and say, oh, tomorrow this horrible thing has happened. No, you prepare today, and you do that every day. Preparation is the key. Proverbs says, watch over your heart with diligence, because that's where the springs of life flow out of. Proverbs says this, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me, they will find me. Proverbs says the hand of the diligent, that's the one that's going to rule. Proverbs says the plans of the diligent leads to an advantage Everyone who's hasty, everyone who's lazy, they come to poverty. They don't get through whatever they're facing in life. So you and I have to work and be ready today. Go back to Ephesians 5. What did it say about our time? Make the most of your time right now. Every single day, make the most of your time. So what that means is we're to do, have done everything that we're supposed to have done so that when that day comes, we're ready. So now the million-dollar question is, what is everything that we're supposed to have done? You know what it is? It's all the ethical statements found in Ephesians. You live that now. You live it now. Every day. So what are they? Lay aside aside falsehood. Speak truth. Don't sin in your anger. Stop stealing. Work hard with your own hands. Speak that which is good and edifies That which is wholesome, don't destroy people around you. I mean, if we do that in the easy days, what do we do in the evil day? See, we're to put those into place. And then get rid of bitterness. Be kind to everyone. Bitterness is what keeps us from doing well in the evil days. We learn to forgive because God's forgiven us. We walk in love now. There's no immorality or greed within our lives. We walk correctly in those areas. We learn what's pleasing to God now. We're careful how we walk. Ephesians 5, 16, now. You do that now. You're filled with the Spirit now. Not when that day comes. You do it now. And how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? You're singing. You're thankful. You get along with people. Husbands and wives, love and respect. Now, not later. Now. Family life. Children obey parents. Honor parents. Uh, honor parents, fathers be involved in kids' lives. Now, not later, now. Be strong in that. Do it every day so it becomes a part of who you are. I don't know if I've ever said, I've, I, when I was in college, I was an entertainer. And I, I got fairly good at it. And so I got to do television and I did stage shows. I was on the Ted Mac Amateur Hour. If you know what that is, you're real old. But I got to be on Ted Mac Amateur Hour. I was a magician. My grandfather was assistant to Blackstone, if you know that name, one of the great magicians in the world. 
And I would sit and watch him as a kid growing up. You give him a couple coins, a sponge ball, a rope, and some cards, and he would literally blow your mind. He was extremely gifted at that. And so I wanted to learn how to do it, and so I did. So I, you don't want to play poker with me because I'll, I'll deal you the hand I want you to have, and I can do that. I learned to do all of that, and, and I loved doing it. And I had fun with it. I don't do it anymore. I gave it up when I went in the ministry because I didn't have time for it, and I had kids to raise and wife to love and all the other stuff that goes with life, so I, I never did it again. But I got where, I, and I still can kind of do this. If you hand me a deck of cards and I ask you to pick a card, you will take my card every single time. You'll go, no, 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 and you'll, I'll still get you. You know why I learned to do that or how I got to there? Because I did it over and over. I drove my family crazy in college. Here, watch this trick. Here, take this card. I just did it over and over and over and over and over. One of the kids on our football team is an amazing baseball player. I don't know why he's playing football. This last weekend in tournaments, he batted 850. He had uh, a triple, six doubles, and a home run. He drove in 10 runs. And I'm reading all this. I'm asking one of the players at a meeting yesterday, I said, is he that good? Because that's amazing. He said, yeah. I said, how long has he been doing this since he was this big? He's a sophomore competing against seniors, but he has worked so hard at it that it's paying off for him. We think that works in athletics. We, know, we think it works within school or music or whatever it is that you like to do. But guys, we have to be doing this in life. We have to be prepared. So we just handle life. So if the evil day does happen, and you'd never know when it's coming, most of the time it's out of the clear blue. You don't see it unfolding. You might, like Daniel, see the political wind starting to go. But like Jacob with Laban, he didn't see that one coming. He would have never done what he did if he had saw that one coming. But whatever happens in life, we're not caught off guard. You may knock the wind out of me. You may stun me with whatever happens. But I'll sit there, deep breath, feet firmly planted, and then I'm going to get back up. And I'm not going to quit. My mom drove that in me. You never quit. But I tell you what, my mom may have driven it into me, but the Heavenly Father has brought it home to me. Why quit? Why would I want to quit? Why walk away? Why throw up our hands? It's no use. What happens after that? Nothing good. You'll, you'll not be able to say, you should have seen a testimony, what God did in my life, how he brought me through this. Some of the greatest stories I've ever known among church members is when they've been hit like this in life, when the evil day comes, their faith was real. And though it may have rocked them for a little bit, they're standing up and God brought glory to himself through them in the most dramatic of ways afterwards. And your testimony becomes overwhelmingly powerful because when you speak, people know you're speaking from the reality of it being true within your life. See, I'm, I'm not so certain that's why the church's testimony across the nation is so weak right now and why people don't really buy into it anymore is because so many people haven't had this kind of strength to live life to the fullest. We've not taken it serious enough. But if I have done everything so when the evil day comes, I have built the character, I have built the morality that I need, I have built the support structure that I need, which are family and friends, and I will be ready through the power of God through me to be able to stand firm. And so when that happens, I don't lash out at others. I don't try to protect myself. 
because of people hurting me. I do not attack back others because I'm going to trust God. Life doesn't become about us. I don't live in such a way that no one's ever going to hurt me again and then shut down for the rest of my life. I get back up, feet planted on the gospel of who Jesus is. Because I have wrapped around me the amazing truths of who Christ is. I have done everything to be ready. And now God can be glorified through that. Now the real solution next week starts about the full armor because that's what protects us. But in yet, you'll see that in doing that, I'll say almost what I said at the end of this sermon. But I'm going to remind you of Ephesians 3.18. Oh, excuse me, 1.18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. No, it's 3.18. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the height, the length, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I close with this. Satan is trying to lead us astray from the simplicity and the purity of God's love. Never let it happen. Remember Ephesians 1.3, you're the most blessed person in all the world. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And there'll be no greater joy than to go through this life for whatever God gives you, 70, 80, 90 years. And have walked through the tough times and the good times. And then stand before him and he looks at you and says, well done. Well done. That's where we're going. When I graduated with my doctorate in 1987, I was at Travis Avenue. And I, I said this in a sermon a while back, but as I walked across stage for them to hood me and give me my degree, I stood right here and was shaking Dr. Dilday, who was the president of the time seminary, of the seminary, I was shaking his hand. And up there in the balcony were mom and dad. I've never forgot, I still can, if I stop and think about it, I see their face. One was... I can't believe he finally did something. Second was, we are so proud of what he's done. I want to be able to look up, and I am somebody that is not anything special, not anything great, but I met Jesus. And I want to stand before the Father in heaven and hear, well done. So I'm like you. I strive and fight and struggle. Life is tough. It doesn't get easier the older you get. Some of us out here will testify to that because of health issues and other issues that come along the way. But I tell you what, I want to get to the end and say what Paul said. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. Finished the course. Now, laid up for me, crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me, but all of us. It's going to be a good day. Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And thankful for passages like this because we need them. There's not a one of us in here who will escape a tough day every now and then in our lives. Very difficult day. Some evil rears its ugly head up against us. Satan who hates all who are in Christ will come against us sometimes. But you never leave us nor forsake us. You never abandon us, but you're always there. But you tell us to be ready, to stand firm, 
to have courage to walk by faith. So, Father, do your work in and through all who are in this congregation today. Strengthen them during the good days. Guide them. Become so real to them that when they gather here on Sunday, they come to worship and praise you because of your goodness. And then when the tough day comes, they will see that your grace is always sufficient. And you will be glorified in and through them is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.